Welcome to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast presented by Subway. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Joining me today, as always, is The Score's David P. Woods, a man who I'm sure many of you can commiserate with after he put up the third highest total in our 12-team league and still took the L this week. Woods, that's a rough one. I mean, well, first of all, no one cares about my team. I'm positive. But uh, yeah, it hurts. I, I'm, I'm hurting over that one. But that's what makes fantasy football fun, I guess, right? It's head-to-head. It's you... It's a sign, too, that your team's good, right? I'm you trying put to up a big myself. total. You put up a big total, so hopefully over the course of the whole season here, it'll Yeah, it'll I'm just going to stay out. the course. I guess I'm doing something right. So, yeah. For sure. Uh, a reminder out there to everybody, uh, you should be subscribing to the podcast. That ensures that you're going to get every episode as soon as it goes up. It's especially useful for our Sunday night episodes. Those go up pretty late in the night. You can get them either before you go to bed or they'll be sitting there waiting for you when you get up first thing in the morning. On today's episode, we are going to preview week two with our guest, J.J. Zacharyson, a number fire and late round QB fame, and we're going to get his thoughts on all the biggest questions heading into the second week of the fantasy season. That's going to come up in a couple minutes here, but first, my latest rankings will be available on the score on Thursday night, but let's take a look at some of the notable risers and fallers that you're going to see this week in my rankings on our next level update segment, which is presented by our friends at Subway, who up the taste ante with their new next level paninis. Aaron Rodgers is a guy that I may have been too high on in my early rankings this week. Those come out Tuesday nights. I know Rodgers performed well when in the past, uh, you know, he's had some good games against the Vikings. He had a four touchdown game against them a couple years ago. But with the injury, we don't really know his situation there. And that Vikings defense is, it's scary. We saw them pick off Jimmy Garoppolo three times last week. And, you know, Rodgers coming in at less than 100%. I'm moving him down a few spots to QB7. Another player falling in the ranks is Marvin Jones. Uh, we'll talk about the Lions offense more later, but Jones was severely out-targeted by Golden Tate and Kenny Galladay in week one. Tate at 15 targets, Galladay at 12. Jones had eight. That game was a disaster for the Lions as a whole. I think we can all acknowledge that. But the concern here for Jones is there is definitely three quality receivers now, not to mention Theo Riddick, on Johnson. Both those guys can catch passes out of the backfield. So... I'm moving Jones down to wide receiver 26. And the last player that we're going to talk about in this segment is Emmanuel Sanders. We all know how much Case Keenum loves throwing to his slot receiver. He did it in Minnesota. We figured he was going to do it in Denver. And that's exactly what happened last week. Sanders had 10 catches, 135 yards and a touchdown. I thought I had put him up high enough in my initial rankings, but when I went back through it this morning, I just like him better than guys like T.Y. Hilton, Larry Fitzgerald, some of the guys in that range. So Sanders is a borderline wide receiver one against the Raiders this week. I have him as my wide receiver 14. And to be honest, I might move him up more even before Sunday here. But we don't need to sit here and talk about our rankings all day as much as I would love to do that. I know our guest is probably eager to weigh in on everything week two. So let's bring him on. Like I mentioned, it's JJ Zacharyson, editor-in-chief, FanDuel, number fire, author of the late round QB, host of the late round podcast. JJ, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, nice timing here that we're having you on. I saw this morning that you and I are actually playing each other in our Dynasty League this week. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's a super flex league, so essentially two quarterbacks. And I'm a Jameis Winston owner. And a couple weeks ago, you offered me a trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I turned down. And now I'm kind of feeling a little foolish about that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. My, the rest of my team is basically dead with like Doug Baldwin and Le'Veon Bell. And it, it's it's going to be a disaster of a year for me. So you should get the W pretty oh, easily. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought we might end up having some trash talk here, but you're kind of being very concerned. Yeah, yeah, that, okay. team, that, team, that, team, that team is toast for me here in, in 2018. 
Well, talking about Fitzpatrick, do you believe in the Fitz magic? What we saw, we kind of shocking to see Tampa come out. We figured with Jameis, I at least figured with Jameis not there, they wouldn't be as strong. We thought the Saints defense was going to be good again. They added some pieces in the offseason. They completely cratered in week one. How are you feeling about that Bucks offense early in the season here? I mean, it was clearly somewhat of a fluky game for Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, on Sunday, he converted eight of his nine deep balls, uh, which is absolutely insane. Uh, he hit 13 of 32 of those deep balls. I'm looking at, at balls that went uh, more than 15 yards through the air. Uh, so he converted 13 of 32 of those last season. I mean, the weapons are there for him. Obviously, you have you have uh, Mike Evans. You have an up-and-coming potential star in Chris Godwin. Uh, you have a great vet that can stretch the field in Sean Jackson. Um, and then, and then two able tight ends. They really didn't use that much in the, in the passing game at all uh, against New Orleans. So, you know, because of his weaponry and because of his what's what's going on around him, there's an argument that can be made where you know against Philadelphia and against Pittsburgh over the next two weeks, uh, where Philadelphia is kind of a funnel defense where you do want to th- sort of throw against them because that front seven's so strong. Pittsburgh's defense is just beatable all over. Um, I think that you can make the argument that he's a higher end QB two potentially, but I don't think that we're going to see anything like we saw in Week One again. Yeah, I think my takeaway from it was just how talented that that group is. Not not yeah. Fitzpatrick himself, but looking at all those guys, and and you nailed it. Also, give me all the Chris Godwin I can get. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. I mean Deshaun's. He had the concussion in that game. He's apparently dealing with a shoulder injury too. If he sits out, Godwin is going to have a monster game. And I admitted it on our podcast Sunday night. I thought Mike Evans was going to have a bad game. The Saints kept him in check last year with Marcus Lattimore. He was a monster in week one, so I guess I was a little bit wrong on that one. But I still think Godwin is going to have a big season here for them. With the Bucks stomping the Saints, it was a pretty surprising result. Is there anything else from week one that maybe changed your mind on something in the fantasy landscape? Yeah, you know, I try not to overreact. I like to tell people that, you know, you should definitely react to what happens in week one. It's not like we should just ignore it just because we have a small sample size. But I also don't want to overreact over some of the things that we saw. You know, obviously a good example is the Saints defense, uh, you know, not to overreact and what how they performed. I mean, we shouldn't forget that last season in week one, they were also lit up by Sam Bradford. Um, and so, I, you know, things can turn around very quickly in the NFL. The one thing, though, that did sort of surprise me uh, just because they played this poorly, uh, was Arizona in that offense. Uh, they combined for just 49 rushing and passing attempts. That was the second lowest in football. Funny enough, uh, Cincinnati had the lowest number of plays run this this past week when uh, you know they're, they're, I was expecting somewhat of a rebound from Cincinnati in terms of plays run because they, they ran the fewest plays last season. But Arizona just looked really incompetent on offense. Um, and I think that overall it should make you at least a little bit nervous about David Johnson moving forward. But at least his per- his his peripheral numbers look pretty good. He had a rushing share that was still 60%. His target share was up at nearly 27%. Um, so I think from a volume standpoint, you should be fine. I just worry about him and Larry Fitzgerald being able to find the end zone because the offense really did not look that great. And it was at home against a defense that, sure, Washington's defense has some talent. They're not awful, but it's not a defense that anyone thought would be a top 10 one necessarily this For season. Sure. Yeah, and as somebody who I tried to do a stack with the Cardinals, just thinking with the Redskins going cross-country and everything, I thought there was yep. a chance there, and yeah, it fell flat in my face on that one. How about you, Woods? Anything you saw in week one that, that changed your opinion on somebody? Yeah, actually, was? you alluded it to it earlier when we were talking about your rankings. This might be the time where we need to talk about Kenny Galladay, because I did not expect him to come out and lead the Lions in snaps at wide receiver. He was second in targets behind Golden Tate. 
I mean, a, a narrative and some stats that got passed around a lot this offseason was how Marvin Jones is affected when Kenny Galladay is in the lineup, and we still don't have large sample sizes there. I have the numbers in front of me here. Marvin Jones has played 11 games now with Galladay in the lineup, six games without him in the lineup, and his target share with Galladay in the lineup, 16% of the Lions targets go to Marvin Jones. When Galladay is not there, 23% of the Lions targets go to Marvin Jones. So that's a pretty significant difference, and... I'm not quite sure what to think going forward here. I didn't expect Galladay to have such a presence, and will he going forward? I mean, he had a big week one last year too, so it's possible he sort of shrinks back down, but last season it was due to injury. If he stays healthy here, is he ahead of Marvin Jones in the Lions pecking order now, Boone? I don't think so. I I think, if anything, maybe it's Golden Tate that's going to have the most secure target share there, and that it's going to be Galladay and and Jones kind of trading back and forth. That would be my take. I also think the Lions are are the one here, not just Galladay, but that offense as a whole. I think sometimes one of the mistakes that fantasy owners can make is overinflating players and teams that make headlines in the offseason. So when a team gets a new coach, you know, big free agent signings, that sort of thing, we tend to assume that that's going to bring newfound success because we saw those names in the news all offseason long. And with all the pieces that the Lions have on offense, especially on that offensive line, which I, I really thought was going to be strong this year, the offense has always been pretty good there. So bringing in a defensive-minded coach, you would think that that was going to help them as a whole. It certainly didn't appear to be the case on, on Monday night. And I mean, there was a lot of storylines coming out of that, right? Some of the Jets players claimed that they knew Stafford's signals in the game. Now we have reports that some of the veterans on the team are already maybe fed up with Matt Patricia's coaching style. And we're only in week one here. So I do think better days are ahead for the offense. I'm just concerned that maybe we ticketed them for improvement under the new regime. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe we should be looking to downgrade some of these guys. So the Lions were one of the many teams that underachieved in week one. We can all agree on that. I'd also include teams that, you know, the Cardinals, who JJ talked about, uh, Raiders, the Titans, the Bears. There was a lot. I'm not going to count the Bills in there because I think we knew that they were going to be awful going into week one. JJ, which of the those disappointing offenses do you think has the best chance to rebound immediately here in week two? Yeah, so, I mean, you guys just alluded to it, but I think that the Lions are a team that should bounce back this week. You know, I, I do think that there's this perception out there that Jim Bob Cooter is this really good offensive coordinator. They haven't really shown that from an efficiency standpoint, you know, over, you know, since he became offensive coordinator, but they haven't been bad. They're usually a top half offense, but they're not an elite, you know, top 10 uh, offense. They're more of a, in, in that fringe area of, the, of top 10, top 12. But I do think that they have a decent matchup this week in San Francisco, and it's definitely a chance for them to bounce back a bit. But the one offense that I, I really think has a chance to bounce back or, or look a lot better um, is Chicago. I mean, we saw you know a lot of teams run these set plays to start off games, um, and we saw these rehearsed drives, if you will. And we saw that with Oakland and their opening drive. We saw it with Chicago. They looked really sharp to start off that game in Lambeau. Um, but I think that what we saw with Chicago was complacency once that game started to get going and once they started to lose the lead and, and once they gained that lead. Um, so I, I hope that we see a little bit more aggression from Matt Nagy in that offense uh, here in week two. And it's a defense in Seattle that really does have holes. I mean, we saw Case Keenum uh, not be afraid to rip it and throw it deep against them. He had a pretty high average depth of target in week one. Uh, I know that, you know, there were comments over the offseason about Matt Nagy being totally fine with Mitch Trubisky taking those types of shots as well. Trubisky had a bad outing. Don't get me wrong. It was not a good outing at all. According to number fires metrics uh, of the 34 quarterbacks that 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 were relevant in week one, Mitch Trubisky had the sixth worst success rate. Uh, so he did not have a good week one outing, but now he's back at home. They'll be able to dictate a little bit more. I think that that they come through with a solid performance here in week two. 
Yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe the big lights of that primetime game got the best of Trubisky at the end there. I mean, still very young, not a lot of experience there. I think we need to see another week of the Bears here, and I am still sort of optimistic about that offense. And not just that Seahawks matchup, but they get a couple of good matchups coming up with the, the Cardinals and the Bucks, so it, it could be good, I think, moving on here and, and, yeah, having them gel a little bit in that new system. They're going from an extremely, extremely archaic coaching style to, uh, yeah, Matt and Hagee, hopefully better things to come there. One team that could be in a bit of trouble, at least on the defensive side of the ball, is the Falcons. They, they lost Keanu Neal for the year. Deion Jones out indefinitely now. JJ, I'm curious your assessment now of what that means fantasy-wise in, is in Atlanta. Is it good news for Julio? Is there probably going to be more shootouts because of that? Are, you know, is the Falcons' defense a defense that we want to target for opponents now in, in fantasy? Uh, just how has the landscape changed in your mind in Atlanta with those two big injuries? Yeah, so I don't want to overstate what these injuries could potentially do for the Falcons. You know, it might lead to a higher pass-to-rush ratio, but in general, you know, whenever there's a defensive injury or, or, or a couple of defensive injuries, it's not like it moves the Vegas line all that much. It's not like their their team total is going to change drastically. And it's just because one or two pieces on the defensive side won't drastically change a game's outcome, you know? I think that, that we had the same thought, or the same thought was being shared uh, when Khalil Mack was, was traded to Chicago, where... People all of a sudden said, you know, oh, you know, Jordan Howard's going to see all these positive game scripts. He'll see more volume. Now let's bump Jordan Howard up. I get the logic. It, it makes sense. But at the same time, you know, Khalil Mack isn't going to be worth, you know, a point and a half or two points for that team per week. So from a real football standpoint, sure, Atlanta might not be as great defensively. You might feel a little bit better about targeting them, but you might have felt good about targeting them to begin with this season. Um, so I'm not going to try to overstate what this means from a fantasy perspective. I don't think it's good from a real football perspective. And I think that, you know, potentially if you thought Atlanta would be a wild card team this year, maybe they're not a wild card team anymore. Um, but from a fantasy perspective, it's really hard to envision, especially with Julio Jones, hard to envision a scenario where Julio Jones sees more volume than he did in week one. Definitely. Definitely. How about the other side of the ball this week? So they're playing the Panthers. Panthers have a big injury of their own with Greg Olson being lost for what could be the season. I mean, we'll see here. That's going to have big implications for that receiving core. We saw with Olson out last year, Funches really came on. This likely solidifies Christian McCaffrey's high volume in the receiving game. He might have gotten that anyway, but definitely locks in a couple more targets for him. Could also open the door for Jarius Wright, who's gotten a bunch of work early in the season. Rookie DJ Moore could emerge. And even Ian Thomas, the rookie tight end, he really stood out in the preseason, and now he's going to get an opportunity there. If he can give them maybe you know, 70 80% of Olsen's production, that, that could be something for fantasy. So, JJ, I feel like you always have a good reason take on this type of stuff, like you had in that last <laughs> answer. So who's going to get the largest uptick in targets with Olsen's sideline here? Yeah, you know, entering the year, I wasn't very high on either Olsen or Devin Funches just because of the way, you know, Olsen coming off of an injury, Olsen uh, having not scored many touchdowns over over the last year and a half, and, and, and really his yards per route run has been dipping over the last three years as well. So there was, there was a, a downward trend with his production overall, but then at the same time, I was sort of fading Devin Funches because when Devin Funches was on the field with Greg Olsen and Kelvin Benjamin last season playing significant snaps, he averaged fewer than 10 PPR points per game. And then when both of those players were off the field and not playing significant snaps, he averaged over 18 PPR points per game. So I think just given that split, if you were to choose one guy, it's got to be Devin Funches is going to benefit from this Greg Olsen injury. Um, but, it, you know, again, it's, it's, it's obviously it's, it's always tough to talk about injuries and say who's going to benefit from them just because it's such a it's, it's a bad thing overall. And, and I do think that there's a chance that this season uh, Funches doesn't see as strong of a split 
only because there is a little bit more competition for targets than what he saw last year. You agree with? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely with everything JJ said. I mean, I think if, if you want to look around the league and say which quarterback is best equipped to absorb the loss of his top 10 end and not have it hurt his fantasy value, I mean, maybe it's Cam Newton. He may just end up running a bunch more and doing his Superman thing again. I mean, he it's not like Olsen's been doing a whole lot over the last year and a half, like JJ said, so... I wouldn't be super worried if I was a Cam owner. I mean, it's never a good thing to lose a weapon. That's an offense that doesn't have a ton, so it may just be a season where Cam has to put them all on his shoulders and do it himself. And Olsen wasn't the only significant tight end injury we saw in week one. Delaney Walker lost for the season. Jonu Smith, another young tight end, is going to have an opportunity now. I think the question with the Titans offense, though, is a bigger one. It's not just that tight end. Do we have hope that the Titans offense is going to be able to find its stride here with Walker out, with Mariota injured and already underperforming really in this new offense. JJ, do you have hope they're going to be able to, to figure it out? I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, I think Mariota is ta- more talented than what people give him credit for. Uh, so if he's healthy, I'm a little bit uh, you know, more optimistic. I think that the one piece, though, in this offense that you should feel good about right now, who might be a borderline buy candidate, even with this disaster that's going on around him, is Corey Davis. Uh, in week one, he had really awesome usage. He had a 34% target share. He saw three red zone targets. He saw two goal line targets. Um, th- we know that the talent is there. Uh, and now that the usage is there too, there's really a good chance for him to truly break out this season. Uh, but as you know, you obviously have to hope that Mariota is healthy as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I felt for, well, all offseason we talked about it here, that, that Corey Davis, the days of him being a wide receiver one, it's coming. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to see it at some point this season, maybe sooner rather than later. One offense that always seems to produce, sometimes in heroic fashion, like it did in the second half Sunday night, is the Packers. Rodgers was able to come back in that game. I mentioned him earlier that I was bumping him down a bit. We don't totally know how that knee injury is going to affect him. Uh, They're saying he's day-to-day. We're recording this on Wednesday, so there might be an update coming out in the next day or so here that could change things altogether. But J.J., how do you feel that that Rodgers injury is going to impact him? Are you worried at all about that offense, or do you think he's going to be able to play through it? I'm definitely worried about them this week because just because of the matchup. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that you have to be a little bit concerned about his ability to get the ball down the field. Uh, but overall, you know, if you're going to look at one pass catcher on this team who might benefit from the injury, and obviously, you know, no, no pass catcher is going to truly benefit from Aaron Rodgers being hurt. Um, but we saw him favor that knee. Uh, and when he did, he was throwing these these quick and shorter passes. And that's going to benefit Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb saw 27% of Green Bay's targets uh, on on uh, during during this week one game. Um, and re- when Rodgers was healthy last year, uh, Randall Cobb was a wide receiver two in fantasy football. He was putting up wide receiver two like numbers. So I like Randall Cobb to get a lot of volume uh, and see a lot of those shorter passes. Uh, I think that you can slot him into your lineup and he might be just an every week plug and play guy. Not only when while Rodgers is injured, but even beyond that. The Packers have been one of the better fantasy offenses for a while now. A lot of that is thanks to Rodgers. The Chiefs have also been in that mix, but now we're seeing them reach a new level here with Patrick Mahomes under center. He had four touchdowns in week one. Tyree Kill had three thanks to, uh, you know, the third came on a punt return score. Likely won the week for anyone that started either of those guys. How high do we think the, the ceiling is for those two? And will the rest of the offense be able to keep up? Or 
Should we start to worry about a guy like uh, Travis Kelsey maybe taking a bit of a back seat now after being he- more heavily featured in years past? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've got to pull it in and just realize a bit that Tyreek Hill probably isn't going to do what he did in week one every single week of this course, year. I mean, yeah. th- there, there were some fluky things that happened. I mean, he had the kick return. That's not going to happen each week. Uh, he had that goal line play on, on, that, on that touchdown. It was a creative play, but that's not going to happen each week. Um, if you're looking at the rest of the team, sure. I mean, Tyreek Hill's emergence is going to hurt uh, the other pass catchers on the team, whether it be Travis Kelsey or Sammy Watkins, and even Kareem Hunt to a degree. And Kareem Hunt, uh, I, I feel like people aren't talking about him enough after this week one performance where he didn't see a high rushing share, at least nearly what he saw last season, wasn't really involved in the passing game. Uh, the goal line work wasn't there for him because either Pat Mahomes was running the ball or he was throwing the ball when they were on the goal line. It was a really frustrating day for Kareem Hunt owners, and I, I am a little bit worried about that. Um, but overall, you know, I, I do think that Tyreek Hill still will be a wide receiver one this year. I don't think he's going to be on that Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham level, uh, but he certainly can be a wide receiver one, especially just given this connection with Pat Mahomes, who, you know, I did quite, I never questioned Pat Mahomes ability. I questioned whether or not he could sustain the type of efficiency through the deep ball that Alex Smith saw last year. Now, Alex Smith, obviously not traditionally a deep ball passer, but he was arguably the best deep ball passer in the NFL last year. So even though the arm is there for Mahomes and, and all of that, I did wonder if Mahomes was, was going to be able to sustain what Alex Smith did last season. And so far, so good, uh, because in week one, uh, he had the highest deep ball rate in the NFL. He connected on 56% of those passes. Um, and it's just looking good. And, and it's looking like that connection is very real between Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And it looks like the Chiefs are going to be in another high-scoring game this week when they take on the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers, they had one of the weirdest outcomes in Week 1, but I'm I'm inclined to think that the, the monsoon conditions that they were playing in kind of threw things off. Is it worth just throwing some of the results from that game out the window for both teams, not just the, the Steelers, but also for the Browns, J.J.? Yeah, I think that you can from just a production standpoint, efficiency standpoint, especially through the air with both quarterbacks, really. It's not just Ben. You know, Tyrod didn't have a very good game through the air either. He just saved it with his legs from a fantasy standpoint. I think Big Ben is one of the best quarterback plays here in week two. He's back at home where his home home road splits over the last, basically his whole career have been tremendously uh, skewed towards being uh, him being good at home. Um, but I think that the one thing that you can really look at with this game is just general usage. We saw James Conner as the only re- only relevant running back for Pittsburgh, literally the only one that saw touches. Um, and then we saw Jarvis Landry see 37% of Cleveland's targets, and his average depth of target was double than what he's seen throughout his entire career. Um, they're using him more than a slot receiver. That's really good news for anyone who drafted Jarvis Landry this year. And that Steelers-Browns game was pretty ugly because of the weather. The Bills-Ravens game was pretty ugly because Buffalo has one of the most talent-poor rosters in the league this year, I think. Uh, Buffalo allowed a touchdown to the Ravens' top three running backs and to their top three receivers. They've announced they're starting Josh Allen this week. I don't expect that's going to change much for them as a team. Uh, we've been telling everybody to sit their Bills if they can. And start everyone going against Buffalo. That's my take on this. Obviously, this week, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, Phillip Rivers, those guys are all a go. But should fantasy owners start to feel confident in starting deeper options against this Bills team? Looking at this week, guys like Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams, even Antonio Gates, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think potentially, you know, anytime that happens, though, there is the worry that what if the Bills come together and have a decent outing? You know, their defense has 
decent enough personnel. It's just really that the offense is putting them in such horrific uh, positions. Uh, as we saw in week one, I think I mentioned it earlier, they had 6.6 yards per drive, which is just absolutely absurd. <laughs> um, so, you know, the average, the average drive for Buffalo defensively started at the 41 yard line. So basically the Ravens only had to go like 15 yards just to get into field goal range on Sunday. Um, so I think that's the bigger thing is that anytime that a, a team is starting with crazy good field position, they have a shorter field. They don't really have to do as much offensively. And as a result of that, you're just naturally going to see more scoring. You're naturally going to fall into some touchdowns. So to your point, yeah, I mean, I think that that in particular, a good offense like like uh, the Chargers have, you can start those secondary options like a Tyrell Williams. Uh, but if it's just an average offense where uh, you know, it's not led by, you know, they don't, they don't have all these fantastic playmakers. I do think that, that you can probably still leave those guys on the bench unless we see a larger sample of this, of this Bills team being as disastrous as they were in week one. All right, let's talk about, and we did this on last week's episode. I think we'll do this going forward. Woods, we'll let you go first on this one. Give me a player or some players who you think fantasy owners might be overlooking in week two. Uh, how about Ted Ginn? Had five catches for 68 yards and a touchdown on just six targets in week one. I think we sort of spent all summer assuming maybe Cameron Meredith would be the Saints' number two receiver opposite Michael Thomas. Then Traquan Smith, the rookie, came on late. We thought maybe it would be him. Uh, Meredith was inactive in week one. Smith was basically invisible. Said it was Ginn catching those passes, looking like that deep threat opposite Thomas. So uh, they play the Browns this week. I don't think those cornerbacks should scare anyone. And the Saints are stinging there. Really need a big win here. So I think maybe Ginn is someone fantasy owners should be interested in here. Sounds good. JJ, who you got? Um, I think a lot of people are going to give up on Alfred Morris, um, which I, you know, I, I understand to a degree. Um, but, I, you know, if you look at the matchup this week, he's going to see a Detroit defense that just got absolutely gashed by the Jets running game. Uh, San Francisco is going to be at home. They should see a positive game script. And if they do see a positive game script, they had a 1.32 pass to rush ratio on Sunday. But when it was neutral, when that script was neutral, it was 1.14. So they were running the ball at a pretty high rate. Um, and even in a slightly negative game script that they saw against Minnesota, Alfred Morris handled 48% of the team's rushes. He played over 50% of the team's snaps. The real question is whether or not they, they pull Morris from, from getting goal line work because he did fumble at the goal line. Uh, but I think that he's the only body on that roster who's going to be capable of, of playing that role. Um, so I think that, that he could be in store for an RB2 kind of week. I'm going to stick with the 49ers as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Dante Pettis here. There were so many better options on the waiver wire this week from a receiver standpoint that that's why I think he got overlooked. And Marquise Goodwin is dealing with a quad bruise. Uh, We're going to have to monitor his practice participation this week. But if he's limited or if he misses time, Pettis showed last week he could step in and perform. He had a beautiful touchdown. The 49ers uh, made a smart call in the offseason where they taught Pettis every single wide receiver position just in case something like this happened. So if anyone went down, he could step in. They could give a different look to the defense. If Goodwin is out, I'm going to have Pettis way up my rankings. I really like the town. I think he's an explosive game breaker type of guy. And I think he could pay off here in week two. Looking at all those guys we just talked about, don't overlook those players and definitely do not overlook JJ Zacharyson. He is one of the best analysts in the industry you can find him on Twitter at late round QB. JJ, huge thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Hopefully everyone out there enjoyed the episode as much as we did. And if you did, definitely should be subscribing. As we mentioned before, we're going to continue to have great guests like JJ on every week as we preview the upcoming games and the upcoming slates each week. Woods and I are going to be back on Sunday night, breaking down all the action from week two. 
And we're going to give you an early look at the waiver wire. So that who you should be targeting early in the week, we'll get that to you Sunday night before my waiver wire column comes out Monday afternoon or Monday night. If you want to get in touch with Woods, he's at David P. Woods on Twitter. I was busy dealing with a family issue last Sunday, so I wasn't available to uh, take as many of your questions uh, Sunday and Monday, but I will be this week, so you can shoot them at me on Twitter, at Justin Boone. Thanks for riding along with us. We'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight.